Thunder Media. There are a lot of media people in board across Australia, but there are a few like Tim Plastic Pemberton. The difficulty is with don't sport media is that you don't get a full run compared to other sports. You're buried a bit in the newspapers and on TV, radio, whatever. So, you know, the really your prime objective was to promote the fact that there was a sport out there and something was going on. And then, if possible, bend in the direction of of Holland and the race team. In one of Plastic's last interviews, we got down to the facts of his life and career. Which story do you want? We remember Tim Pemberton today on Inside Supercars. I hope you'll stay with us. Hi, I'm Chaz Mostert. Hi, I'm Shane Van Gisbergen. And you're listening to Inside Supercars. This program is brought to you by P1 Australia Racing Components, the designer of the oil heat mats for dry sump tank applications. Find out more about the truths on engine oil heating at p1australia.com. From the racetracks across Australia, and here's Inside Supercars. It is sad news that we have received this week that Tim Pemberton has passed away. I had the opportunity to do one of the last interviews with him as we were preparing for this year's Supercars Media Awards where he was inducted into the Supercars Media Hall of Fame. And it was a great opportunity to really have some stories. Now, Tim at the time was in hospital and I was speaking to him over the phone. It was not the most straightforward of conversations, but I'm sure you'll find what he had to say very interesting indeed. Tim Pemberton, congratulations. Plastic, as you were known for many, many years around the Australian Touring Car Championship, you are now also a Supercars Media Association Hall of Fame member. Congratulations. Thanks very much. It's nice to be one of those. There's been a few blokes accept that award and I'm more than happy to do so myself. And a number of your colleagues already in the Hall of Fame and some of them were probably writers that over the years you had to uh, have words with uh, over the course of the journey. I'm thinking Fogues, Barry Lay and Paul Gover. Yeah, well I'd, uh, I'd have conversations with all these guys mainly because of a close connection with Holden Racing Team or HTT as it was prior to that. So they could uh, I could give them a bit of information that wasn't readily available via the standard press conduits. Um, so it made things a bit easier when you can't do publication deadlines on, on the night of races and what have you. You entered motorsport in the 1970s. How did yep. you start and where did your interest in motorsport begin? Well, it didn't. What happened was I was um, at an advertising agency and I uh, left that job to uh, work with the, a promoter bloke 
for the Road Safety and Traffic Authority in Victoria. And their big go was to launch young driver Peter Brock uh, as a spokesperson for 05 Drink Drive. And in doing that, his mission was to be travelling around the traps, delivering red-hot speeches to the youth of the uh, area about the problems associated with. And anyway, he needed someone to, to go along with him and run a, run a film camera and do a bit of media promotion saying he was coming to town. So I did that for a year, and that got me involved in the motor racing side of things uh, as a result. And he said to me, we got on really well, and he said to me, you ought to be doing this full-time on motorsport. And I said, yeah, why not? Let's do it. So there you go. Another accidental hero. I suppose so, yeah. What was the scene like when you first joined it, and what was it like working as a Carlton and Melbourne man, working with a Collingwood man in Peter Brock? Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, we used to have arguments about all of that. Carlton versus uh, Collingwood, that was non-stop. But um, when it came to motorsport, it was a bit more like uh, Ford versus Bolden. So you adopted one side or the other, and that sort of made just fine. And I always told Brock that uh, Carlton was the equivalent of Holden and Ford was the equivalent of, of Collingwood, which he didn't like at all. He didn't think that was much chop, but anyhow, we settled on that. I know for a fact that when Collingwood wasn't going well, you guys would actually line up interviews to get him away from the television just so he wouldn't be in as bad a mood. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Yeah, but he was—he loved his Collingwood, uh, Brock. And the, the one game we went to together was the uh, 77 Grand Final, which Collingwood and North drew and then replayed the following week. And uh, we had a couple of seats up in the stand there. And I can remember Brock standing up and screaming at the top of his voice, this is wrong, there should be a result. What sort of game is this? This is ridiculous. Play the thing out. Add an extra 10 minutes. And on and on he went. And, and of course, nothing happened. And Collingwood won the rematch anyway, which, which he missed, because that was a Bathurst weekend. Morphed into the Holden Media Man for so many years, which yeah. what was Holden like to work for and what was the focus of your role in promoting the, the sport to the media journos? Well, they didn't really have anyone promoting the sport as such to the media. It was all mainstream car stuff. And they sort of figured that if I was a specialist in that area, I could make more sense with the motoring journos, most of which in those days were mainstream blokes. But uh, I could make better sense with them if I was just allowed to sort of operate on my lonesome out there doing the good thing for General Motors Holden. You seem to try and put an element of fun into everything you did. Oh, well, where do I start? Where do I stop? 
the biggest element of fun was uh, the barbecues bowl were turned on uh, after Bathurst, which was quite a few because they won, well, HDT won their fair share, and they get these barbecues going, and they were outrageous affairs. And um, all I remember is one morning waking up lying in a muddy ditch at the back of Bathurst somewhere. I never made it back to my car, back to the hotel or anything. I was just out like a light in this watery ditch. And uh, not surprisingly, I wasn't too flash on race day. What were some of your more memorable campaigns that you really are proudest of? The trick was to try and do a, a Bathurst campaign that was memorable, that you could sell through the dealers and whoever else and pick up some media support of the process. And there was a stack of those, um, which I can't remember half of them now, but there's plenty of them. Like, what? Oh, gosh. I've, it'll come to me in a minute. Because I haven't been thinking about any of this for many years. <laughs> So I've sort of forgotten most of it. No worries. But um, there was plenty of things. But one, one of the classics was uh, writing driver quotes post-race, win or lose, and just inventing them and sticking them up on the wall of the Bathurst uh, media tent, which I mostly made up myself because the guys were busy doing whatever they were doing. And it just invent something that seemed appropriate. And sure enough, guys would just pick on these. It would only be a couple of sentences, and it would go in word for word into the race reports. So that was a good thing to do. What was the media like to work with? Because you had to get a story out, and you wanted to make sure it was the most Holden positive or 05 positive that you could make it. Uh, not necessarily, because the difficulty is with motorsport media is that you don't get a full run compared to other sports. You get buried a bit in the newspapers and on TV, radio, whatever. So, you know, the, really your prime objective was to promote the fact that there was a sport out there and something was going on. And then, if possible, bend in the direction of of Holland and the race team. But that was that was secondary, actually. And the numbers of people covering the sport back then for mainstream channels was a lot bigger. Yes, it was. But they didn't necessarily get the coverage that they would have liked. Uh, that's the point. Uh, a lot of sports editors just uh, weren't, weren't, too, weren't too keen on motorsport. They wouldn't play the whole thing down. It was just the way it was in those days. Some others, uh, some newspapers were pretty good, but mostly it was a bit of a problem. Where did plastic come from? Uh, which story do you want? They probably, probably like to know too, but it was um, the actual story was I bought a, uh, as a young bloke, I bought a, a Porsche, a 50s, 1950s Porsche, which was in very bad condition. It came from Darwin or somewhere, and it hardly went properly at all. And I just was driving it around, and a mate got in the car and said, geez, this thing goes worse than a Volkswagen. And I said, yeah, it's not very good. He said, well, let's have a look at it. And he did so and said, 
Well, it's got a Volkswagen 1200 engine in it. That could have a bit to do with it. And I said, oh, geez, I bought it off a mate. I never looked. I assumed it was all right. And he said, no, nah. he says, and what's more, he says, you'll burn your uh, your fuel because it's relocated in the wrong place and the fuel will not do what it's supposed to do and you'll bomb out totally if it gets too hot. He said, it's a plastic car, that's what it is. And I said, oh, do you reckon? He said, yeah. And at that stage, I was getting around wearing a lime green suit and a gold satin shirt, as was the go in the 70s. And he said, it is a plastic car. And what's more, you're the worst case of plastic man I think I've ever seen. So there you go, story. Someone must have heard it to keep it going, though. Oh, everyone thought it was terrific. Yeah, it was a, it was a good story that wherever I went, I knew the bloke they call the plastic man. I went, ah, uh, yeah, I guess so. So you could never get rid of it. You certainly embraced it for all those years. Yeah, I suppose so. I just did, did what, I, what I thought was a good idea. And um, it was it was a good being in the motorsport media. It's really the sort of job that you have if where you can't, can't afford to go somewhere else. It's just... Um, was terrific. I really enjoyed it. The world has changed since you uh, hung up the the pad, the paper, and the uh, press releases. How do you think the world would go now with social media, phones, in, and cameras that are transmitting every action of every person to uh, anyone who wants to look? Yeah, it's an excellent point. That uh, there's nothing much to do about it. It's gone to where it's gone, and uh, I don't see it ever coming back again. So if you're stuck in that situation, you just got to try and control what you can control and inject a bit of positivity into the show. It's about all you could do. Would it make your job significantly harder when you think about the uh, colourful characters that you were representing? Yeah. Well, I think the characters were more colourful back in the 70s and 80s than what they are now. They're all a bit trying to... Um, to be good boys and say all the right things and do all the right things. There's not, not a lot of colour out there. But us in the media says that was your doing. Why? How had I worked that out? Well, you had trained these people not to be too out there. Um, well, when I was operating, it wasn't really the case. It was, um, it was encouraged to have drivers a bit on edge so that you can actually pull a headline or two, otherwise you'd get nothing, which is pretty much the case these days. So uh, I think things are a lot better then than what they are now. Well, Plastic, we know that the last couple of years have been a rough one for you. Congratulations on being inducted into the Supercars Media Awards Hall of Fame, and we wish you all the, the best for your recovery. Thanks, mate. I appreciate it. There's a, a list of famous names in there and a list of not so famous. But there you go. That's that's life. And there's a few of your contemporaries in the PR game that are not even in there yet and might not ever be. <laughs> well, well, you guys can work that out. Our thoughts to go out to Tim's family and friends and all the motorsport colleagues who 
were certainly involved throughout so many years of his participation in the sport. Vale Plastic. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next time for more or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited.